0: If you would, four verses six and seven. Anxiety. We have heard that. We've heard that term mentioned many times. Uh, you know, even when we talk to our friends or we talk to uh, healthcare staff, we've we've heard this word anxiety thrown around out there. It's it's a. It's becoming, if not already, a serious problem. Um, I looked on the web last night and pulled up an organization, CFAH, have no idea what that stands for, but they ran some statistics on anxiety, and they're reporting that 27.3% of American adults have anxiety problems. 41.7% young adults from the age of 18 to 29 suffer from anxiety. 31% 31% of all college students have anxiety. You know, we know exams and studying and so forth and other things that play into that as well. Worldwide, 3.94% of the worldwide population suffer from some form of anxiety. What is anxiety? It's worry, right? It's a continual worry, either from the life events uh, that's happened in their life World events that are going on as we speak. Um, The potential outbreak of World War III. Jobs. Jobs pose or cause a lot of stress. I'm experiencing some of that myself this past week. Uh, A lot of batteries are coming in. A lot of batteries going out. We've messed up on a few orders as far as getting those orders out. Customers complaining. Hey, where's my order? Comes back to me. I have to figure this out. So, you know, yes, we can't escape stress. It's going to happen. Some anxiety is warranted. And I have shared with you guys some of the stress and worry that I've had uh, when I worked at the hospital. A lot of it stemming from the fact of the morbidity uh, of the unit that I worked. I worked in a unit that saw people at the end of their life. And when I say the end of their life, we're not talking about the ripe old age of 77, 80, or 90, but at the end of their life, be it that age, middle age, or younger. Death is not a respecter of anybody. It doesn't care who you are, what color you are, how old you are. It comes to us all, right? I dealt with that for years. Um, found myself dealing with the very same thing that we're talking about here. It would come out at night. I couldn't sleep. I had intrusive thoughts continually. Uh, I shared with Lindsay numerous times. I don't think I'm going to make it past the age of 65. Why do you believe that? She would say to me. I said, well, you know, everybody that I see is dying. She goes, but that's not you. (laughs) Thank thank God for a godly woman and a godly husband as well, too. Thank God for Godly counsel. Those voices uh, or those intrusive thoughts are nothing but from the evil one. Most of the things that we worry about never come to pass, right? We worry about from all kinds of things. All kinds of things we worry about. Worry about the traffic going down the road. Worry about whether or not we're going to have enough money to cover this bill. Worry whether or not our boss is going to come and breathe down our back about something. Whatever it may be, these are things that most of the time never come to pass. We don't have to worry about it. But nonetheless, it's still there. Today, I've got three points for you today. We're going to look at one of the causes of worry. Uh, We're also going to look at the answer to worry. And finally, who are we to look to for the cares and concerns of our life. So what causes us to worry or to be anxious? Paul states here in verse six, right at the outset, be anxious for nothing. What is nothing? That covers everything, doesn't it? Be anxious for nothing. Some would say, well, yeah, that's kind of hard to do in this lifetime. It's kind of hard to do, don't you think so? Paul says, be anxious for nothing his time that he lived there was continual threat from roman roman government continuously he lived under the threat of being for the most part being arrested which he was beaten which he was <laughs> stoned <laughs> which he was so you you see the point that i'm drawing here he you know we tend to look at our circumstances as being worse than somebody worse than somebody else's right but Paul had every reason to say, "Be anxious for nothing. Be anxious for nothing." You know, in our everyday life, we do have legitimate concerns. I'm not, I'm not belittling that, and I'm not saying that when something comes up, you know, oh, you know, man, how in the world are we going to take care of this? That's different from saying, "I don't know what we're going to do," and then walking away from it drinking a pot of coffee or whatever we're doing to medicate ourselves and still thinking about the problem and worrying and festering over it. Worry, move to action to take care of the problem is totally different. What Paul is speaking about here is we, when you're sitting here and that's all you're doing is worrying, you're anxious over this and you're not doing anything about it. That's what he's talking about. We don't need to do that. That's n- not conducive to our walk. It's not conducive to our faith in Christ. It is, in fact, the opposite. When we worry about something, we hold on to it, don't we? We hold on to it, thinking in our insane way of thinking that we're going to be able to take care of this problem. When, whatever it may be, we may not have the means, we may not have the ability to take care of it, right? But we continue to fester upon this. Worry is the opposite of peace. Paul states, be anxious for nothing. That covers everything. We are children of God. Our God owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. He created this world. He created the universe. He created everything. Be anxious for nothing. Some would say, preacher, that doesn't uh, that doesn't pay the bills. Words were not intended to pay bills. But if you're having problem paying bills, what do you need to do? Sitting around at the house around the the table, dwelling on it's not going to pay it either, right? Maybe you lost your job. Maybe you don't have that ability to pay the bills. But you're part of the family of God, who does have resources, right? Stop sitting around. Stop thinking that you're going to fix this problem when you haven't fixed it. God is the author and finisher of our faith and salvation. If it is lack of funding, then we need to address that. As I just mentioned, if it is something outside of your control, again, let's address that. We're in the family of God, right? There's resources there. There's resources there in the family of God. It has to be taken care of. And if you don't have it, we need to go to the family and say, hey, I'm struggling. I need help. You know, whatever it may be. Oftentimes we do not ask our church family for help because of pride. I'm guilty of that. I have been guilty of that. I don't want nobody to know what's going on with us. We got this. We'll do it. Meanwhile, we're suffering, right? We're hurting. Family is suffering. All because of what? Pride. Pride is that undertow, so to speak. I'm not belittling the sin. I'm just simply saying that it's under cover. It's subtle. When we talk to people and they say something to us, especially at work, well, you know, the boss says that we're going to have to move X amount of pallets over here. I'm not doing that. It's pride. Why aren't you going to do it? The boss man's asking you to do it. It's work, legitimate. There's nothing wrong in it. But you're saying you're not going to do it. It's just pride. But notice here in verse six, Paul says, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be what? Known to God. Let them be known to God. Paul is telling us that we are able to take our concerns to God, which would extinguish our pride. I've heard, I've heard Christians say, you know, I, I get so tired of going to God and telling him what I need over and over and over again. Why? That's, that's part of it. That's what we're commanded to do. Right? Make your requests known to God. We are to go to God and make our requests known, whatever it is. It doesn't say make, make certain requests known to God. Make your requests known to God. That covers everything, doesn't it? Be anxious for nothing. Again, that covers it covers everything. covers everything. Pride hinders us. From looking to God and exercising our faith, pride hinders us from looking to God and exercising faith. Proverbs, you know, Mark this morning in our Sunday school lesson hit the nail right on the head when we were discussing Uzziah, his whole fit of rage inside the temple. It was pride. God had carried him along, gave him victories. He was becoming very strong. And when he became strong, he took it upon himself, to go into the household or the temple of God with incense, with the uh, censer, to do incense. Pride. Don't tell me what to do. I'm the king. God struck him with leprosy. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit goes before fall. Pride is the one sin that underlines other sins. As we were mentioning earlier. We know this sin. We know this very sin is the sin that led Lucifer's fall, right? Mm-hmm. I will ascend to the mountain. I will be like God. Right? Pride is the elevation of self above God. It swells our egos, doesn't it? It causes people to not trust in God or His church to turn away. Oftentimes we fail to ask God or the family of God for help because we are afraid we'll be judged. Again, it just goes right back to pride doesn't it, it goes right back to pride. Maybe they will think we are foolish with our money. And that's the reason why we don't need to ask for help Sim- or simply we have never asked for help. I don't plan on asking for help. So that. Way, if an argument or a conflict comes up, they can't come back and throw it up to our face. Again, pride. Pride. We all have families. Do we have days that, or is it always a bed of roses every day? Or? No. Oftentimes, I feel like I'm going through a briar <laughs> I'm sure the rest of us feel that way. But I, I'm, I'm speaking with it. I mean, it, it's a good experience. But there are times when it's not a bed of roses. It can be t- tough. Conflict arises all the time. We're human beings, right? Brother, you don't always agree with your brother, do you? Vice versa. You don't always agree with me. I don't always agree with you. That's okay perfectly okay. Conflict arises. Conflict doesn't necessarily mean a knock-down, drag-out fight, but it doesn't always necessarily mean that we have to raise our voices at each other. Conflict comes in the form of disagreements. It doesn't matter. We're a family of God. You've got a need. Let's take care of it. Let's take care of it. We will. We'll worry about the conflict later when it comes up. It comes up in so many ways. It hinders us from asking help from God, you know, be it from the the causes of anxiousness or worry. You know, th- most of the stuff that I've listed out isn't that is not to be exhaustive. It's just some. I'm sure the list will go on. And I want to point out the fact too. I'm not. We're not talking about people who have a legitimate problem, like a condition. Where anxiety is a symptom of that. I spoke to a guy years ago when I worked at the hospital. I was sitting with a patient. I was sitting with his brother in law. And the guy that was sitting in there with me, he told him we got to talking about Vietnam. I said, Are you a Vietnam vet? And he goes, Yes, sir, I am. He goes, um, he explained to me the unit that he was with, and he was in one of the first heated battles America was in with North Vietnam. He said, we were helicoptered in. There was two two helicopters that uh, came into this landing zone. He said, as soon as our feet hit the ground, a hailstorm of bullets were coming our way. And over half, half, over half, my comrades fell that day. My buddy, he said, my best friend, who was the heavy machine gunner, was mortally wounded but yet able to lay down cover fire for the next wave of helicopters to come in. He died there on that battlefield that day. He came back to America. He was mad, he was angry, he was hurting. He relived this episode. He was wounded as well in that conflict that day. He said, all I remember is laying there on my back looking up past the weeds and seeing the bullets just flying over it. He said, it looked like mosquitoes just going every which direction. You could just see them. Was just how many, that was how many bullets were coming over my head. He said, I've lived with that every day. Reliving that every day. I became angry. I started drinking. And it's all because of this anxiety, this stress, stress of reliving that survivor's guilt. I asked him, I said, what, what part of that whole time uh, hurt the most? He said, what hurt me the most was I saw my best friend who was probably about 25 yards from me, mortally wounded. I couldn't get to him. I couldn't save him. And I said, well, even if you could get to him, you probably still couldn't save him. He says, I didn't want to face that fact at that time. He says, I have come to realization that I couldn't ever save him. And I'm, he said, he was doing a lot better. But he said, at that time... He said it was just eating him alive. He said it was destroying my marriage. He said it was destroying friendships. I couldn't hold down a job. Do you see how this this one little thing continues? And it continues playing over and over again. And anxiety is part of that. We're not talking about people like that. Okay? But it destroys. It can destroy a relationship. Somebody who worries continuously. So I ask you this morning. How often do you take your concerns, your cares to God? I don't care how small it is. I don't care how big it is. We are to take all our requests to God, right? We are to take them to Him. And I implore you this morning if you're struggling, struggling in that area, do that. Don't waste time. Some would say, well, what's the point? God already knows. I don't need to take it to Him. That's not what Paul's saying here, right? Paul says, take all your requests. Make them all known to God. Doesn't matter if he knows it or not. He does know. But still, you've got to take them. But you know, the grace of God is more than sufficient. Our Father is able to make all grace abound to you, me, everybody who is in the household of God. That always, always having all sufficiency in everything may have an abundance of every good deed. He's there. He's ready to give that. Paul again states in the very book and chapter that we're reading here verse 19 if you want to turn to verse four, chapter 4 verse 19 he says and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He'll supply all our needs. Take your requests to God, make them known to him. God's grace is more than sufficient. Sliver is far more sufficient than we could ever need. Christ made it possible for us to look to God for help. He's taken that away. We can come to him, right? We We can commune with him. We can talk to him about the problems that we have in our life. Is peace lacking in your life? If it is, maybe we need to search. Maybe we need to do an assessment. Maybe we need to take it to God, right? Peace that Paul speaks here in verse 7 is not a fleeting thing. It's not just something that comes on us and then it leaves. Peace happens when we're taking our concerns to God. Right. Our problem is oftentimes we want the problem fixed now. We want it done now. That's Americanism, isn't it? We want, we want, we want it now. Got to have it now. We want to take it out of God's hands and put it in our hands because He's not moving fast enough. We think we know better than God, but we don't do it. He knows us. He's the one who created us. He sees our plight. Just like he did with Job, right? Job went through it. But God had his eye and his hand upon him every step of the way, right? Are we any different than Job? The only difference is Job was on the other side of the cross. We're on this side of the cross. That's the only difference. The same God that was in Job's life is the same God that's in our life. The peace that Paul is speaking of here came at a price, it costs the father his son, his very son. That was a costly price for that piece, isn't it? Before before God got a hold of you and saved you, how many times did you count in a night when you were sleeping? How many times did that sin, that relationship to God play into that before you could go to sleep? I couldn't even count on both hands how many times for me. I'd lay there, lay there, toss and turn, toss and turn, worried about dying all the time because I knew I wasn't in a right relationship with God. I knew something was not right in my life. Praise and glory be to our God that his son, our Lord, is now in heaven, ruling and reigning over us, interceding for us, ready to take our concerns, ready to take our cares to the Father so they're being dealt with. Oftentimes, we don't want to take our requests to God because we don't want to hear the word no. We might think it's a good thing. God doesn't. He sees more than what we can see. So he says no. We don't want to hear that. We we kind of want to just take God, put him in our pocket, and just pull him out whenever we want something to go our way. No, that's not how God works. We're in a relationship. He's our father. So it behooves us to go to him in prayer. We must. And I'm going to tell you right now, that's the hardest thing ever in the world for me. I don't know about y'all. It is the hardest thing in the world for me. I get busy with life. I get busy at work. And I I want to pray. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm busy doing something and I forget to do it. I pray on the way to work. But when I'm at work, I find it very hard to do so. When I'm at home, I've got things going on, taking care of Madeline or taking care of Sawyer, doing something else around the house that needs to be done. Have good intentions, but, you know, it doesn't happen. It's hard for me to do it. And I know if it's hard for me that you guys are struggling with it as well. But we don't need to let pride come in between us and our God. We need to understand that we have to go before him. Forget the pride, and as we commune with Him, as we're praying with Him, as we're involved with Him, we notice that pride goes away. Pride can't be in the same vicinity with God. If you're communing with Him, you're in His Word. Pride is it's sin; it's dealt with. My my objective here this morning, our objective here this morning, is to reveal to you that through Christ through Christ, our concerns, our worries will be dissipated. They will be taken care of. They will go away. Life events require attention. They do not require us to sit around and worry about these things, to fester over them. Worry will not add one second to your life. In fact, it will take seconds away from your life. Anxiety comes hypertension. Hypertension is a fancy way of saying you're going to kill over from a heart attack. It builds up tension, humanly speaking, physically speaking. It's not a good thing. Not a good thing at all. But what does our Lord have to say about being anxious? If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to pick up Matthew chapter 6 verses uh, 25 through 34 Matthew 6:25 through 34 but this was for this reason I say to you do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink nor for your body as to what you will put on is not life more than food and the body, More than clothing. Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? And why are you worried about clothing? Of its own. If we believe that God created the world, led his children through the wilderness by a pillar of cloud during the day and a pillar of fire at night, crossed over the Red Sea and led them to the promised land, saved a wretch like me, saved me from my sinfulness as he saved you from your sinfulness. Why do we have such a hard time believing that God's going to take care of us? All because it's not tangible in front of our face that we can't put our hands on? Is that it? Or do we have unbelief that we need to deal with? Be anxious for nothing, brothers and sisters. If we look at our text here, Paul gives us an answer as to what we are to do about this anxiousness. What does he say? He says, take our requests. He says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Take them to God. The evil one whispers in your ear, in my ear. We believe the lies more than we believe the actual truth that's staring at us from the pages of the Bible. Let me share with you here for just a minute. Maybe you've heard this term. Maybe you haven't. It's prevalent in the Reformed count. Attending to the means of grace. <clears throat> Have we? Is that a pr- pretty familiar term for y'all? Attending to the means of grace. What are, what are the means of grace? There's three of them. Prayer. Coming under sound teaching of the word of God. Preaching of the word of God, right? And then the sacraments. Those are the three means of grace. Mm-hmm. Now, so if we look at this text, I'm not saying, I'm not trying to stretch what the text is not saying here, but what I am going to say is Paul does tend to one of the prayer. I mean, uh, one of the means of grace, he explicitly says prayer. That is the first means of grace that we discussed, right? We are to pray. Now, I'll get to the fact here in just a minute why it's called the means of grace. Now, the other means of grace that are not present here, but overall implied, and what I mean by the implication, who did Paul write this letter to? Church. The church. And so what is the church doing, right? They're, they're preaching the word of God. And did not Paul, did not Paul write the word of God? Peter Alludes to this, right? Not not alludes, but he states this in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, uh, more or less what Paul was writing was the word of God. And then 2 Corinthians 14, 37, he says about himself that God has given him the authority to write, to, to divinely write, right? The word of God. So they're coming under. The sound preaching of the word of God, be it through letters that Paul has wrote, or maybe James, Peter, John, and so forth, maybe not organized together in a in a single book like this, but they're coming under the sound preaching of the word of God. Now, within that church, what is the other means of grace that they should be taking be doing? The sacrament, right? Communion. Church history is later with the examples of early churches, breaking bread, the book of Acts, breaking bread, the whole idea here of breaking bread. Yes, it is a meal Some sometimes, some of the references. It's also a reference to communion. So it's implied here. Now I know that might be a bit of a stretch and I'm not trying to say that this is what Paul is driving at. I'm just simply saying these are the means of grace that are present here to prayer. Prayer is a means of grace. Why? Because it's been given to us the ability to pray. When we were dead in our trespasses, could we pray to God? Absolutely not. I mean, sure, the prayer may be heard, but it's not going to move God at all, right? God only moves with his people, correct? The household of God. So that's why it's called a means of grace coming under the sound preaching of the word is a gift. Today, how many churches kind of look at it as disdain? The, the, the word of God is not even opened up. So one little scripture verse up top, do about two hours of singing, and then maybe about 30 minutes of an exposition on the on that particular passage, which is basically a canceling session, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> well, this is how you should do, you know, Five ways you can fix this problem. It's not under, it's not sound preaching. Sound preaching is a gift. You want to deal with the sins in your life? Come under the sound preaching of the Word of God. We when the Word is preached, that's God's truth being conveyed. It's not about my experience, though experience does kind of help along to drive home a point, but experience should never take the place of the word of God. So this is what Paul is implying here. We're coming under the means of grace. We can take care of that pride, right? We're coming under the preaching of the word of God. We're praying to God, confessing our sin, right? Having God point out to us the wrongs in our heart, the darkness in our heart, right? Make your requests known. Be anxious for nothing, brothers and sisters. Attend to those means of grace that have been given to us. There's a reason why we come together corporate. And we just spoke about that. You know, it, it, it's a command for one, right? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Turn there with me real quick. Let's, let's look at that. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. Now, listen to this, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's why we come together. That's why we fellowship, right? Verse 25, not forsaking our own assembly together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing. We come together because for one, we've been commanded to do so, Two, as a believer, we feed, we have to feed our souls. We have to feed feed our spirits. We feed our bodies, right? Why not feed our souls? But the point to come together is to confess our sins to one another. When I say confess, not as if our brother or our sister has the ability to take those sins away, but hey, this is what I'm struggling with. Will you pray for me? Have you struggled with this? Can you offer some kind of help? You know, some areas that's worked for you, so forth. My point in saying all this is we deal with that pride. We come together corporately. We're a family. We're a family. And two, when we look at the sacrament, when we look at communion, what does communion do for us? We remember, right? We look back. We not only look back, but we look forward, right? We look back to Christ and the atoning work that he did. He didn't die or bleed in vain. He did it for a reason. He did it for us, for God's people. He did that. We have before us, brothers and sisters, we have the ability to take our sins before him right and confess them there's no reason to be anxious there's no reason for us to worry we have somebody who's acquainted with our griefs we have somebody who knows our frame he knows us the answer is before us here in our text as paul has stated numerous times we have not because we have we have not because we ask not do you want that peace that Paul's talking about here in verse seven. Notice here. Let me let me read it the, these two verses together and listen to this. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace of God that surpasses all comprehension. It's there. You want peace from what worry and anxiety does? Take them to God. Give them to Him. He has more resources than we do. He has way more than we could ever imagine. He's the creator. He created it all. It all belongs to Him. Man likes to think that he's got that hold on God. God owns it. Now, I'm not up here preaching a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel here. I'm not telling you that if you just send in some seed money, you're going to receive a blessing. I'm not telling you that. All I'm simply saying to you is faith in God and knowing that he's going to take care of you, going to provide for you. He's going to do it. We tend to look at the glass half full or half empty, right? Rather than half full. We don't remember or we don't think about all the good things that God has done for us. But that one thing that's sitting on the table that's causing us to worry and to fester is what's consumed our thought. And everything else that God has done is out the door. Hey, bro, you remember when God did this for you? But man, you don't understand. I got this, eating me up, man. But remember when God took care of you and your family? But you don't understand, brother. No, brother. You're the one who don't understand. You're looking at the glass half empty. God provides for his people. He didn't, he didn't just simply throw us out there in the world and say, there you go. I'll see you on the flip side. No. No. No, you have not because you ask not. I have not because I ask not. I'm just as guilty. I have failed many times to take things to God and wondered why my soul was just in angst, why it was just gnawing away at me. It's because I'm not obeying the command that Paul has given here. Yes, it is a command. Be anxious for nothing. That is a command. Stop being anxious for anything. Why aren't you anxious? There's no reason for you to be. Stop it. That's a command. And then on the other side of that is another command. Take your requests, make them known with thanksgiving and supplication to God. Let it know. That is a command. It's not just saying, hey man, if you think about it, pray about it. You know? No. Take it to the Lord in prayer and supplication and thanksgiving. It's not, the answer is not in what the world says us, says to us today. It's not in a Ouija board. It's not in crystals. It's not what the universe thinks. The universe doesn't have a mind. What we're really trying to say when, when you hear people say, well, it's in the universe. It's out there. What they're really trying to say is, I know there's God there, but. I really don't want to acknowledge him. So we're just going to say the universe. It's a a haphazard way of handling God. It's a a way of indirectly addressing. The command comes with a blessing. If you take your concerns, your cares, your worries to God, then the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, (coughs) will guard your heart and your minds. In Christ Jesus you're having a hard time with your walk you're having a hard time with um, just you feel like you're in a bad place with God you know you know, you feel like you're uh, you're not amounting much to anything Pray, pray pray for your brother pray for your sister take your eyes off of yourself put your eyes on somebody else in the family of God and watch what that does I cannot tell you how many times I have done that. Not consistently, but I I have done it. And immediately felt tremendously like a load had been lifted. Some may think, what's the point of praying? Well, my response to that would be this. It's twofold. Like I said, you ask not and you receive not. And then secondly, we're commanded to pray. We are to pray. It is not an option. It's not something that we do when we feel like it or when it hits right. Praying through the bad times, the good times, even when you don't feel like praying. How many times have you awakened and not felt like praying? Numerous times. But we pray. The command doesn't say, when you feel good, when you feel good and you feel like doing it, then you can pray. No, the command is, you pray, you take it to God. We're not praying as if we're expecting God to do something for us, right? We have to pray if it's according to his will and his purpose. It's not according to us. It's according to his will and purpose. He's our father. He is over all things. It's according to his sovereign purposes and his providential care, right? And then finally, last one here, uh, we we blaze through the second point there. Uh, and I apologize for that, but the last point I want to draw out here: we look to Christ. That's who it's all about. It's not about anything else. It's about Christ. And I'm reminded of the beautiful hymn by Helen Linnell: "Turn your eyes upon Jesus." Also, oh are you weary and troubled? No light. In the darkness you see, there's a light for a look at the Savior and life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Then to sum it up, we look to Jesus. How do we see Jesus in his word, right? That's how we see him. Not in a vision, not from a proverbial brick falling out of heaven, hitting us upside the head as a sign, but in the word of God. That's where we see Jesus. Christ atoned for us and that cross that he hung upon bridges that gap that prevented us from coming to him. And now we have access to go to the cross and commune with our God. Not to put Christ back on the cross, but to go back to that cross and be reminded, as communion reminds us, of that one who died, who bled and died for us, who took that beating for you and for me when it should have been us standing there. He was accused of crimes that he never committed. He was beaten. He was scourged with the cat of nine tails. It made his back look like a plow field. He bled and died for you. Being anxious and worrying never adds to your life, it diminishes your life, it takes away from your life. Christ is the only one who can dispel that worry. Let us. With our eyes wide open, look upon our Lord and like Isaiah in chapter 6, as Mark showed us this morning. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the entire throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let us look upon him. Lord Jesus Christ stepped down from glory and became a human being, and he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He did that for for you and me. He had us in mind when he did that. He lived a life that was obedient. And in his obedience, he suffered, right? He learned how to suffer. He fulfilled the law to the letter, knowing that you and myself could never do that. He lived a life of perfect righteousness. If there was anyone, any human being that mm-hmm. was sinless and perfect, it was Christ. The only one. The only one. We are helpless and good. He spanned that gulf by going before sinful men and taking a punishment for crimes he never committed. He bled for me and you. That blood that ran out of his body was for you and me. Paul tells us in verse 7, as we've read numerous times here, if you want that peace, peace that surpasses all comprehension, that will guard your heart and mind, be anxious for nothing, take it to the Lord in prayer. You say, some of you may say, you don't know what I'm going through, and it's not that easy. You're right. I don't know what you're going through. You don't know what I'm going through. We all have we all have our losses to bear. We've all been in places where it's been hard. Sometimes we've been in places now with no relief in sight where it has been hard. You're exactly right. I don't know where you're where you're at. But I know someone who has gone through far more than what you have ever endured. And it's Christ. Mm-hmm. And because of what he's done, we can have peace. Peace, we go to bed at night, lay our head down, knowing full well that we belong to him and that our sins have been taken care of and that there's nothing that he will withhold from us. Being able to sleep at night is worth more than gold and silver. Those nurses I worked with, I I mean, out of a whole unit on an even shift, maybe 10 nurses and over half of them wrong medications and anti-anxiety antidepressants sleep medication because they couldn't sleep they asked me said you go home are you able to sleep I sure am now I may not be able to sleep long because of my neck but if my neck was right I could have slept for six or seven hours but yeah I could go home I could lay my head right down on that pillow and go to sleep no problem They could they struggle with it. Man. I said, what's keeping you up? What's going on? Oh, man. Mm, Just life. Okay. But really, you can go home and go to sleep? Yes, ma'am. I sure can. No problem at all. I have no worries like that. When I dealt with the stress and the anxiety I was dealing with from the morbidity of the unit, by just simply... Exposing, getting it out, talking about it, I was able to to sleep. I was able to sleep. Jesus Christ alone, him alone, sola, Christus, Christ alone. There's no other one, no other thing in this world that's going to alleviate the anxiety that you're experiencing. Only through Christ. Give it to him. He already knows. Just give it to him. Commune with Him. Spend time with Him. Spend time with God's people under the sound preaching of the Word of God. If you're not taking communion because of sin or anxiety or things that you have not taken to the Lord, deal with that. Deal with it. Confess it. Give it to Him. Be in communion with Him and God's people. And lastly, Rejoice because we have a Savior. Rejoice because He's there. Rejoice because we belong to the Most High. We're all sons of God. We have a sonship because of Christ. We're joint heirs with Him. And if that's not enough to cause joy in your heart, then I, I don't have anything else for you. <laughs> Just simply put you know, I don't have anything for you. But all that aside, You don't have to carry it. Take it to him. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, what an astounding truth. Lord, your truth has the ability to fillet us open and to hit exactly where it counts. And Lord, I speak for myself this morning. I thank you for this truth. It is um, hitting me square dead uh, where it needs to. And, and the simple fact of that I need to take all my cares to you, not just to um, half the time, but all the time. You're good, Father. You are beyond good. Your grace, grace is more than sufficient. Your grace is rich. Your grace... <laughs> Is what saved us, because you sent your Son to atone for us. We thank you, Father. We pray for your hand to be upon this next part of our service, and we give it to you from Christ's day.